Mommy's Podcast. It's called A Slice of Paradise. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you enjoy it. Or, or. <laughs> okay, what episode is this? Season 2, Episode 5. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of A Slice of Paradise, and this is my first interview with a couple, and the first, second, savory slice. Mm. But this slice has been dreamt about for quite some time. This is a special slice. It is, but first we have to talk about how we know you. And um, y'all are really good friends of mine. We have kids that are the same age, and... Used to go to church together. We live in the same town. We are involved in the same circles at this point in our life, which we probably never thought we'd be Mm-mm. here, but it's been the coolest thing. My guest this week is, guests are Mike and Jamie Goodrich. So I'm really excited for them to be on. And of course, their slice is Mitchell's brisket. Oh, yeah. And it is very good. We had a little taste of it. Mm-hmm. It's warming up in the oven, so we can eat the rest of it. Um, when was the last time you had Mitchell's brisket? Uh, yeah, when y'all did the benefit for the Kasakasi family, whose house burned Yeah, down. that was like three or four years ago, right? That's a while. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I still dreamed about it, though. <laughs> the whole time. Every <laughs> night since then. It's a special slice. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It's so, it's special because he loves to barbecue. So earlier I was like, thanks, babe, for you know, barbecuing this brisket for us. I can't wait to eat it. And he was like, honestly, this was just an excuse for me to barbecue. So I'm good with it, you know. Anyway, so we're really excited to chow down on that after this is over. So I first want to start by saying that Mike and Jamie's story can go in a hundred different directions and we're probably going to go in 99 of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's amazing. I mean, what I know of y'all, I haven't known you for most of the story, honestly, but what I have known has been so inspirational to me um, to just kind of watch watch you cling to your faith, watch you struggle, watch you overcome as a family. There's not much that can break the bond that you have within your house, and that's an inspiration to me. Um, even when all the things come at you from all the directions, y'all, y'all stand strong, and that's awesome. So let's talk about when y'all met. How old were you? Oh, goodness. How old was I? <laughs> Uh, 25. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Pop quiz. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 24. No. Yes. Yeah. 25. Okay, we'll go. All right, Mike, how old are you? <laughs> oh, I was 24. <laughs> Y'all are that close in age? Yeah. Really? But she's older. Okay, <laughs> let's remember it. Almost, almost a year to the day. I'm August 30th. He's September 21st. Ooh. Okay, so um, at the time of y'all meeting, Jamie already had two children, mm-hmm. two girls. Yes. Who were how old? What did we say? Five and three? Yep. Yes. Five yeah. and three. And so um, tell me what that looked like for the, the girls to have a dad in the picture that was not who they were used to. Uh, that was a big deal for them then because their bio dad was still very much involved in their world at that point. Okay. Um, I don't even remember what the circumstances were, but Mike Mike had to chase a little bit. I didn't give in real easy. I was two years single, roughly right at about two years single, and I 
didn't want to answer to nobody. Mm-hmm. Like, I had my girls and... Call it, go ahead and say it. What? Jamie actually tried to <laughs> send me to one of her friends at first. Oh, man. Yeah, my that story. set him up with But I didn't fall for it. <laughs> God had a plan. How did y'all meet? <laughs> Through friends. Okay. Um, Mike was a musician and a bartender, and we were out, hanging out, and... I don't even think you were working the night we met. I think you just came out with friends, and that's how we met. And where were you at this point in your life, location-wise? I was in South Austin. Okay. And he was living in Pflugerville. Pflugerville. Okay, cool, in the Austin area. Mm-hmm. So Mike became uh, in the picture with Jamie and the girls, mm-hmm. and what did that look like for you, Mike? I was all about it. I hesitant at first because I'd never been with anybody that had children before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was interesting. It was it was really cool experience actually just to dive right in and just be a father figure to two children that I didn't even I'd know nothing about. Mm-hmm. And being able to grow and learn with them while they're learning me. It was just a really neat experience. Yeah. I know that had to be a challenge bringing I think the someone in. the biggest challenge for us, Naomi immediately was all about Mike. Mm-hmm. He was fun. She climbed all over him. She's always kind of been, you know, my right hand, my, you know, stuck by my side. What I do, she does right. all the time. She wasn't, she would have been with me full time at that point if that was an option for her. Mm-hmm. Michaela, on the other hand, her bio dad meant the world to her. And, and he was, you know, initially a really good dad, Yeah, you know, and, and he loved her. Um, but she but, was a little bit older, though, and could make that... She was. She thought it was my fault that we separated. So she was already upset with me. So then when he came into the picture, it didn't really matter that, you know, he was there for her and right. wanted to be there for her. She it was, was just an immediate mad. wall. Like, yeah. I don't like you. <laughs> right. So what did you have to do to, to knock the walls down? And how long did that take? Uh, it took a lot of something I don't. I'm not really good at today, which is patience. Mm-hmm. And understanding her side versus where we were at. And heading up those challenges head on. And really getting through each day and inclusiveness and including her and everything. Yeah. To be able to get her walls to fall down a little bit and get comfortable with me. And that took several years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was hard, too, because we weren't on the same discipline level. Right. We oh, were battling each challenge. other, you know, mm-hmm. on what was appropriate discipline for him. Uh, we weren't married yet. Right. So I didn't really feel like he had the right to discipline my kids. You know, I wasn't in that place. Like, sure. They, they were still mine. Mm-hmm. And I was still very much holding on to the mine, their mine. And he used to get so upset with me. Like, I can't remember the last time I said that. But, like, he was like, no, they're ours. Yeah. Because even after we get married, I'd slip up <clears throat> and be like, my kids. Right. No, no, Jamie, they're not. They're that not day, yours. everything changed. Yeah. Um. So after y'all got married, the girls were y'alls. Mm-hmm. Um. Tell me about what you went through trying to have your next child. So we got married in 2010. Um, we were also pregnant in 2010. Uh, four months along, we lost that baby. It was probably one of the hardest moments for me because I wasn't really ready to be pregnant so I was angry initially when I got pregnant Mm -hmm. 
And then I was really, really angry when I lost the baby because, you know, I accepted and... Yeah, started um, to love it. Yes. Love the situation. Yeah, we announced it. Like, we had maternity pictures taken with Michaela and Naomi. Mm -hmm. And then just to have to tell everybody, you know, that we no longer have this baby anymore. Mm -hmm. How was it for you, Mike, to, for that to be your first, your first true child? Difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. Um, and actually still to the, to this day, that, that date holds a lot of feeling for both of us. Mm-hmm. She remembers it a lot April better 14th. than me. Um, but every day that comes around, and I can kind of tell when we're getting close, because Jamie, she gets really centered in her thoughts. Yeah. Remembering those days. Yeah, you definitely never forget no. that feeling or that time frame. I will never forget the aloneness that, that was kind of it. Like, it was almost like I had people, I, and I did. I had people who wanted to love me, but there wasn't a... I didn't want to be loved. No. I was no. a failure. Yes. That's how I felt. Yes. A very, failure. very just alone. Like, what, why? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're newly married, and I'm thinking, you know, I've got these two beautiful girls, and I can't even be my husband and kid. Like, yeah, exactly. What is the happening? The thing he really wants. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've clearly been able to do it before, mm-hmm. so why can't I now? Yes, that's mm-hmm. what it was. That's exactly right. So you had a loss, we and then you began to try again a few weeks, months later? Um, about six months, roughly. I think so. We started talking about, like, really, is this really what we want? Mm-hmm. You know, because I was so angry initially. and Sure. Um, we both agreed that that was what we wanted to bring our family together. Like that was our, to make it whole. It just, you know. Yeah. I think it took you some convincing yeah. on my part. I thought our family was complete at the two. At first. Mm-hmm. I wasn't convinced that we needed anymore. Or wanted anymore. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't God's plan for our life. Right. Mm-hmm. About September of that year, uh, we started to try again. And it was... Just, it wasn't happening. I mean, we could have taken stock and pregnancy tests. I was buying them all the time. Yeah. Um, Those are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was getting mad. You, you like, add in you ovulation stop? kits, too. Yeah, yep. That, I mean, just the whole works. Dude. Um, and so, it wasn't happening. So, my doctor referred us to a fertility doctor. Mm-hmm. And he was amazing. We started with, you know, the COVID and... Um, did I say that right? Clomid. 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 Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're um, thinking about COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. That's not right. Um, and that just wasn't yeah. working. Like, I still wasn't ov- ovulating the way I was supposed to. Um, and then right at the end of that, um, we had one um, cycle that was actually pretty good. Um, but I had, like, dropped, like, eight eggs. And selective reduction was never an option for us. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we just canceled that round altogether. And the following round, we started shots. Okay. Um, and we did shots for about nine months, if I remember correctly. Mm, that sounds about right. Yeah. And then uh, that ninth month, we had three follicles. And we were like, okay, well, we can. And one was like super small, like kind of on the cusp. Could, uh-huh. could do something, maybe not. Um, so we went for it. And we ended up getting pregnant. And so you had tried at that point for how long? Between? That, that was nine months since we had, we were on shots for nine months. 
And before that was a year and a half. Okay. Roughly. So Almost two, three years total. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you ended up getting pregnant? We did. <clears throat> and it was amazing. Mike had to work, so he couldn't go to the appointment with me. So a good friend of mine went. And we sent pictures back. And, you know, there was one empty sack. Like, threes is a big number for me. And uh, you'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But okay. um, there were three sacks two of them with babies in them and one was empty and I sent the picture to Mike and he's like counting <laughs> <laughs> and I let him think we were pregnant with triplets the whole way back from Austin that's hilarious um, you sent me a video I did and the video was it was interesting because Jamie was getting an ultrasound mm-hmm. and the doctor found the first baby and Jamie's like yay we got a baby and he's like wait a second there's another one mm-hmm. and then she's like twins you know and it's, that was a really cool surprise getting that by, you know, message, yeah. video message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine what you were doing in your office that day when that comes across. <laughs> I was still working in the office at this point, I think. So, yeah. Oof. So, got the message, got to share it with my team. Uh, it was a good day. It was a real high moment for us. It was. Like, for a while, even. It's funny how working so hard for something... You know, when you when you find out you're pregnant with twins, and we were there too, it's like you have so many mixed emotions. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? This is so amazing. We've got two. Oh, oh my not... gosh, this is going to be awful. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is going to be great. Yes. And I don't know. I felt like a lunatic because of all the different emotions and thoughts I was having. But it's so awesome how when you really work at something and you have to really work hard to get it, it's like changes your outlook on it completely it does. whereas you were up so upset when it happened the first time and now you're like sure i'll have two yeah oh uh, i'll have three if there's another one in there mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely i was thrilled it was just it we rode that wave for yeah. a little while yeah. um there were a lot of valleys leading up to that moment yes so that was a when so yeah to back it up back in 2010 um with the loss came news of cervical cancer um diabetes um, and there was so much scar tissue. So okay. I had to have, so I had a DNC, mm-hmm. um, and then because I couldn't like delivering was not an option yeah. for me. Yeah. I just, well, in four months along, it wasn't that's no, too far. Yeah. No, yeah. Like, I couldn't, no. I just, I could not. Um, so they gave us the option with the cervical cancer to do the partial hysterectomy mm-hmm. or to do what's called a leap procedure. And with the leap procedure, we knew there was a chance it could come back. Um, but we wanted babies. Right. Sure. And we couldn't have babies if we had a full hysterectomy. Let's go. I um, I have people tell me I was selfish. Mm. Like, come straight out and tell me, you, you have two beautiful kids. How dare you risk your life? And I'm like... This is something I, I we make, feel like yeah, is God-given. Yeah, we got to make it to this hole. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, that was a that was a hard hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody has an opinion, don't they? Yes, it's really hard to take away the word passion from someone. Yeah, when you're passionate about something, there's not really anything anyone can say to take that from you. Mm-hmm. But well, there were a lot of valleys leading up to that moment. There were, and we, I mean, we talked to the doctor together, and it was one of those things where, like, the doctor's like, "We're monitoring you now." Sammy so, had an amazing care team. Yeah, we're monitoring you. Like, if we do this leap procedure, we're literally just taking out this portion of your cervix mm-hmm. um, with the bad cells. 
And then we got the clear margins after that. And we're like, we're Everything good. else is still good to go. Yeah, yeah. we're good. Like, we don't want to know. So when I was pregnant with the twins, though, um, baby A, which Emily was baby A, Kaylin was baby B. Okay. Um, we had a subcutaneous, uh, I'm not, I'm going to mess that word all up. Subcutaneous. Yeah, there was a tear in my uterus. Okay. Um, and we went to the emergency room because, you know, I was bleeding and... Um, the doctor's like, well, we'll keep an eye on it and we'll watch it. And we, you know, met with the fertility doctor and he's like, well, sometimes these things heal on their own. And I mean, I just remember praying during that time. Like I've never prayed before. Mm-hmm. Like, like I just lost, like we fought so we hard. We know for what these. this feels yes. like. Yes. And then, you know, it was almost like I was praying, but the, the voice I was hearing wasn't God's. The voice I was hearing was Satan uh-huh. up until the twins were even born, um, which the birth was kind of traumatic. I did not have a C-section. Oh, wow. Um, so I had to give birth on an operating table in the OR because if anything happened, they had to be able to, you know, sure. rescue. Um, when Emily was born first, which was great, aside from the fact that she had a really big head, <laughs> so her a little bit. Um but when Emmy was born, Kaylin flipped. So they were both initially head down. Oh, my gosh. But then Kaylin turned all the way around. Like, I got all this room. Let's play. <sighs> and so that was hard. So they were born 47 minutes apart. Whoa. They yes. Were, that is a labor. 12 minutes? What? 12 oh, minutes, before midnight. Yes. 12 minutes. And they almost had two separate birthdays as twins. Whoa. 12 yeah. minutes. And there would have been two separate birthdays. But we're not going 12 more minutes. No. Not no. one more minute. No, they had the scalpel in hand. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I can do this. I promise. But they had to give me uh, more medication because they had to turn her. Okay. And even with the medication, that was a little painful. Um, Jamie's doctor was an absolute rock star. Yeah. In literal sense, too. Yeah. Um, I used to go with her to just see the doctor uh-huh. as well because he had a lot of Gibson Les Pauls. And that's what we were <laughs> talking about. Naturally being a musician. So we... He and I got along very well, mm-hmm. um, and he's a very special person in his craft. Yes. I don't remember the seconds that he told me, but they he allowed me, through relationship building, the opportunity to be in that operating room when he delivered the twins. And he said, uh, there's a good chance, because he was worried about Kalen. I could see it on his face, and he, he just looked up. He said, Mike, we're getting there. Well, and, and I actually heard him say that, and I was like, talk where are your jokes, because he's very much like you, care, Like, very just jovial, mm-hmm. funny guy. Can't do, like, just serious. Nothing serious. But Jamie saw the, the But I was like, where are your jokes now, Doc? And he's like, well, it's kind of serious situation he we're said, in. He said, I don't have jokes right now. We're, we're serious. Yeah. And he looked at me, and he said, you know, I can get this baby out of your wife. And I, I think he said, like, 20-something seconds. I don't know. Fully. A full C-section mm-hmm. in 20-something seconds to get Kaylin out. Because they were monitoring yeah. her heartbeat and all that good jazz. She was under stress and, the, and mom. And it, he reached for the scalpel and he thought he was going to have to do it. And there comes Kaylin. Woof. Yeah. Yeah. That was a traumatic delivery. It was pretty traumatic because then I didn't get to see him. And, like, when they wheeled Emmeline off, I'm hollering at him, like, you need to go see what's wrong with my baby because you've got to remember this is baby A. Yeah. I'm torn. Like, I bled this whole pregnancy. I need to know that she's okay. Yes. And he won't leave my side. Exactly. And But that mama in me was like, 
I know there's another one in here. I got this. Go yeah. be with the one that and has nobody. And there's all these doctors around yes. me that can help get this he one out. He wouldn't leave. He would not leave. <laughs> it was like a battle. That's um, awesome. That's awesome. But he did immediately follow Kaylin um, once she was born. And then he fought the hospital so that I could see them <laughs> because I they wouldn't let me see them. Why? So I was on magnesium. I went into labor early okay. and they tried to stop it. So they put me on magnesium to stop it. That didn't work. Um, the blessing is, like he said, I had an incredible doctor mm-hmm. who had shots on board. I spent the last almost month in the hospital um, on bed rest. Wow. Okay. Um, monitoring diabetes. Like my kids, yeah. when the twins were born, they had no sugar issues. They had no breathing issues. And they're born at 33 weeks. Wow. So did they go into the NICU? They did for seven days. Yeah, that's about how long mine were in there. Like, But and, 33 weeks is early. Well, I, and it's just miraculous because yeah. at that point, we're discharging. They're in their car seats. They've already done the test. We've already done our CPR training, like everything. And mm-hmm. uh, a nurse walks in. And when I tell you this nurse was sent directly from heaven, like God sends people. Uh-huh. And they're specifically there. For a purpose, and and whether they know it or not, that it's just an incredible experience. Well, Emmeline had heart conditions, none of which were caught in utero, in the NICU, nothing. The neonatal nurse practitioner signed off on the twins to go home? Yeah, they were leaving. They were buckled in their car seats. Jamie didn't tell you that this nurse that was sent in was a student. Sorry. Wow. A child. Fresh out of high school, with some training in college, that knew how to use a stethoscope and knew what she was listening for. Like she was just there gaining hours for, you know, clinical hours that she needed for school. And tell me what she found. She listened to both the twins back to back, and she heard Emmeline's heart sounds different than Kaylin's. So she called the neonatologist in and she said, you know, it could be nothing, and essentially told this lady, you're smarter than I am, but... Can you just listen? Because yeah. I just, I feel like she opinion. sounds different than she does. And she looks at me and she's like, I know nothing. Like, I'm just a nurse. I just want to double check. And I'm like, no, it's okay. You know, I'm not worried at all. <laughs> like, you're a kid. You're a student. Yeah. What do you know? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking. Could you just talk to the neonatologist, uh-huh. please? Yeah. Like, let's figure this out so we can go home. Um, no, she caught it. Have and we, like, gotten in touch with her? I don't know. Like, if she's listening right now. I'd love to. Her name is on nothing. Oh, gosh. Nothing. This was that day, though. Jamie doesn't even know that I still have these. But oh, look how little they are. They were going home, and they were strapped in, ready to roll. But, I mean, she saved, literally saved Emmeline's life. And so what happened in that moment when we realized there was something different? Um. So they did an EKG, uh, and they actually did it on both babies. They let us go home, though, first. No. They had to come back as a no. follow-up, right? No. Yes and no. So we still went home that day, mm-hmm. um, but they followed us up with cardiology in a week. Okay. That's what it was. So I'm thinking, this isn't serious. Like, we had a whole week. You know, we're good. No issues. Like, we're living life. Yeah. That first week we did. We lived life, and it was wonderful, and we loved on the babies, and they were great. Mm-hmm. Then the second week came. After that appointment, we found out there were some pretty major defects that they were watching. They wanted her to get to six months. That was our goal. We made it to five weeks, and she got really sick. And what does that look like, really sick? So her skin was marbled. 
She had different blood pressures in all four limbs. Wow. Um, and almost no blood pressure in the, in the legs. And Yeah. Um, her heart was enlarged because it was working so hard. Um, so it was just not pumping correctly. No, because she had what is called a coarctation of the aorta. That was a big part of why she got sick so quick. The narrow, narrowing of her aortic valve literally closed. Looked like an hourglass. So she had no no flow whatsoever going through there. Um, she also had a very giant um, ASD, which is big old hole in her heart. To this day, she still has a VSD, which is a little tiny hole. Uh-huh. And she has... Um, a bicuspic aortic valve. Most of us have three leaflets off our heart. She has two. How many surgeries did that require? That one. Well, that, all of those findings, how many surgeries did that that require? One. One. That was one major surgery. How many hours? Oh my goodness. Seven, eight. Yeah. And five and a half weeks was how old she was? Yes, she was five and a half weeks old. They took her heart out of her heart and her lungs out of her body, put her body on ice and did the surgery. And then put her all back together. Yep. So she literally died and came back to life. Wow. Yes. And I knew in that moment, I will tell you, remember how I said, you know, I was hearing a voice, but it wasn't God. Uh And now I know it was Satan. But at that point, I really didn't. I knew that God wasn't going to give me Emmeline back. Satan had me convinced. Because he had you convinced. Because I got to keep Kaylin. That was, that's why I got twins. Was to prepare me for this loss. Oh, gosh. That's why I had that tear early in the pregnancy. It's because God's just preparing me. Like. That is a long seven and a half hours if you're having thoughts like that. Yeah. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. Leading up to that surgery was a very difficult moment as parents, too. Um, Sitting in a setting similar to this, you know, very intimate and close. We sat down with the heart surgeon that was going to be performing Emmeline's surgery. And he said, look, I just got to be honest with you. You got two options. One, you don't do the surgery and you lose her. Or do the surgery and you got a 50% chance. Mm-hmm. And you're faced with this choice. You, you get to make this decision. In that, that moment. Watch her die or possibly have her die on mm-hmm. the table. There was not a choice. No. There was no choice. No. All right, so she goes into this surgery, and it's eight hours with not a great outlook. Yes. Um, the sur- she, she makes it out of surgery, and they, you know, they've already told us the first 48 hours are crucial. Like, yeah, she's out. She made it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sit by her. You can be with her. We won't have anything to tell you until 48 hours. Um, so I don't leave. Heck like, no. And there's a lot of guilt there, even still, because I had another kid. Yeah. And two older girls, you know, but I don't, like, I'm in the hospital for over a month, and I don't leave. Like, I'm living at the Ronald McDonald house. Mm -hmm. He's working, taking care of everything at home, but I was so scared. Like, I told you, I thought it was God, but it wasn't. Right. But I was convinced that even after that 48 hours, I was still going to lose her. Like, And you weren't going to be there for it. Every 100%. second until she came home. Yep. Yeah. Um, and the time that Jamie was spending at the hospital, she was getting videos and pictures from home. Yes. Because I, I was making the commute. 
Yeah. So I was making sure she got to see Kaylin and mm-hmm. taking care of Kaylin at the house. And my mom was good. there. Like, she literally, she quit her job, wow. flew to Texas. Yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, so that there was always somebody so that he could go back and forth. Right. And we were living in Calvert at the time, so he's driving two hours one way. Oh, gosh. We're at Dell Children's. Um, but I'll tell you, during that time, um, God showed up, like, in a huge way. One Somebody from a heart organization, I'm not even sure which one, um, today gave me a notebook. And she said, just write your thoughts. You know, just, this is tough. You know, if you need a social worker, if you need a minister, somebody to come in, like, just let us know. Mm-hmm. Was that mended? I think it was mended. mended. little hearts. Yeah. That awesome. Um, and so every day I wrote to her, like, to Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote what they were doing to her. Today I wrote how it like made this. me feel. Um, I filled that notebook. Yeah. And now it's in her time capsule at the school. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so she'll get it when she's a senior. Mm-hmm. She's um, never seen it. Yes, she doesn't has. know it exists. She's, she knows there's a notebook. She doesn't know what it is. Um, that's incredible. I love that. We have uh, pictures of every visitor who came. They um, brought superhero balloons. They did. <laughs> Uh, we, they played music. Super Sue Crew. It was good until she became addicted to the morphine they were giving her. Mm. That about killed me. <laughs> uh, that was the hardest part. Even even them watching her roll on the way, even them watching her heal and not being able to hold her. Um, seeing a baby, and I know that these poor, amazing NICU nurses have to deal with that. The best way, of the best. Yeah. Like, that's a calling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was blessed to have a cousin. I am blessed to have a cousin who is a NICU nurse who could kind of, you know, talk me through through some of those struggles. um, Because I felt really out of control. I felt like I had no, like I wasn't her mom. Mm -hmm. Like I was watching from a window is what it felt like. Yes. Um, Until that moment I got to hold her. And then from then on out, uh, you know, it was like God was saying... (laughs) You, you get it now? Why didn't you trust like, me? Do you get it now? Right. <laughs> do you understand that she is yours? I'm not taking her from you. Right. And um, that was probably like the single most life-saving moment of my entire life. Where you could finally see him. Yes. We played Emily in the same song every day. Still her favorite song to date. What is she it? She remembers it. It's Jump Rope by Blue October. <laughs> <laughs> I love that she remembers it. The song is very prevalent to a child because Justin wrote that song to remind people that there's going to be ups and downs. You're not always going to win. But remember that life's like a jump rope. It goes up and down, but you always come out on top of the jump rope. Wow. That's that's powerful. It's good. It was Naomi's favorite before Emmy's. That's it's awesome. a big one for our girls. Yeah. I love that they can cling to that one and replay it over and over. For me, throughout that entire story, the, the most difficult part was standing beside Jamie, the quiet one, you know, supporting her through something I didn't know how to support, mm-hmm. and uh, watching Emmy roll away and not knowing if that was the last time or not. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. Especially when you had the thoughts looming that it was the last time. Oh, man, I was so mad at him. He convinced me to go to dinner one night. And we had a phone call while we were out that they had to put her on a pacemaker. 
Surprise. The one time I'm convinced to leave this entire time, I leave and she goes on pace. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All the while, Kaylin is good, right? Not a single. And that's the one we were originally worried about. No. No, it in, was Emmy from the beginning. But at the delivery, we yes. were worried about Kaylin. Yes. Oh, yes. Coming. Because yes. of the distress. Yeah. Right. And Kaylin was the smaller baby. Emmy was huge. Uh, six pounds. Which is, for a 33-year-old baby, really big. Yeah. Um, Kaylin was tiny. But here we are. (laughs) So, tried for three-ish years, Mm -hmm. got twins, Mm -hmm. but then fought like heck to keep them. Yeah. To keep them through the pregnancy, after they Mm -hmm. were born. Um, But I'm so glad that you felt a total shift. (laughs) Look. That's Emmy. (laughs) So sleepy. Um, that you felt a total shift with God during that time. Um, okay, so we move on from then, but Emmy's situation, we ended up having several more surgeries, right? different surgeries for different things. Um, she had, um, a Neeson, which essentially she had really bad reflux. She would reflux both ways, though. Okay. Or she was aspirating both ways because of the reflux. So they did a procedure called called a Nisa and they put her on her feeding tube because she couldn't hurt. She was getting way too much stuff into her lungs every time she would eat. Um, Dad got to learn how to be a nurse real fast. Yeah, she liked to pull that feeding tube out, man. So she would have liquid go into her lungs mm-hmm. both ways, whether it was coming up or going down because of the reflux. Mm-hmm. So they wrapped her stomach and then... We had originally put her on an NJ tube, which is something Daddy had to put into her nose, into her stomach, so she could eat every day. And she was not about that life, so she liked to take it out. Mm-hmm. So we had to put it back in, and she really didn't like that. Yeah. And then they ended up putting her on a G button, mm-hmm. which I still have, mm-hmm. uh, where we would just hook her up to yeah. the feeding tube. And she was, she would unhook that too. <laughs> <laughs> And start sucking on the end of the tail. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, as a twin, she's witnessing sister. (laughs) Right. And and everybody eating and doing these things. Uh And, you know, she had that button until almost three years old. Oh, my gosh. You can imagine her going through terrible twos. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. She loved to dance. She still likes to (laughs) dance. Still loves to dance. She was moving. Real young, she was moving. So it was hard for her to sit still while she was feeding. Yeah. Yeah. Um. One day she played a trick on us in our expedition. She ripped it out in the car. And she was covered in formula, <laughs> but she was smiling from ear to ear. She knew exactly what she uh-huh. was doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, she didn't talk a whole lot. She didn't really start talking until about the time the button came out, too. Mm. Um, but she was giggly uh-huh. and just smiley and the happiest little kid ever. Um they clipped her vocal cord, her left vocal cord, during her heart surgery. So they did a surgery where they literally cut her from here to here. Like, if you look at her throat, it looks like somebody slit her throat. Um, and that was probably the second worst surgery I'd ever had to go through with her because after the surgery, they handed it to me, and she just limp, turning blue in my arms. He was working, couldn't be there with me. Like, I'm freaking out. Um, they come, they get her back and they, you know, they get her breathing, but her throat swelled shut literally. Oh my gosh. So they had to kind of open her back up and give her some breathing room. Wow. But all to bulk up 
a vocal cord um, that never ended up being bulked up. But now you can hear her. She's still got a left vocal cord paralysis and you'd never Her know. voice is a little scratchy. It is. Yeah, she's raspy. It's a raspy. Yeah. yeah. She gets excited. She squeaks really loud. <laughs> she does squeak. But I mean, so cute, you can though. hear her and like, yeah, it's just, it amazes me the things that God's seen her through. That she's walked through. Yeah. Yes. And she, she is so happy. Like if we had to go to the cardiologist tomorrow, she's going to tell them everything that's happened since the last time she was there. Mm-hmm. Um, she prefers to go on Halloween because she gets to wear her costume. <laughs> Uh, like she'll t- like it's just these things that I'm. She's got so much joy. So much. She's unaffected. By and the it's world. contagious. Literally unaffected completely. By when you the see world. her dancing, you're like, mm-hmm. why am I not dancing with her? And you want to see a kid worship? Yeah. Like with her whole body. That's amazing. Amazing. It's. Well, yeah. It's not fair to say that my other kids didn't save me, but that one literally saved my life. Well, the trauma. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after the twins um, and all of that with Emmy, mm-hmm. I can imagine at that point that you were not even thinking about having other kids. No. Stress we didn't even to the think max. we could. Um, yeah. But at this point, we're so busy with right. life and taking care of the twins and figuring it out. Because we had just, I forgot about that too, we had just gotten after the twins, right before the twins were born, custody of Michaela and Naomi full time. Okay. So we took them on full-time, and we had twins. So we went from a family of shared custody of two to a family of four, no shared custody. Real quick. Yeah. And all of a sudden... First time out the gates, we get Bubba. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember... We finally make time for something. We made time for ourselves, and we were spending time together, and... It was my birthday. And here we go. A little yeah. celebration. Yeah, literally. And like, I just remember Mike and I, we were hanging out together after that. After I, I cried. Oh, I cried. I bet. I'm like, how are we going to do this? We this can't, can't happen we again. We can't afford this. Like, we just went through the most traumatic thing ever. How are we going to do this? And Mike looks up and he said, God's got jokes. I said, please don't give me another girl. <laughs> I can't handle one more of them. Please don't give me another By that girl. point, you were in the thick of drama. Yeah. Woof. Oh, yeah. I feel you on that one. Mm-hmm. So Jackson was conceived. He was. And Jackson came along and the world shook. It did. It did. It really, really did. He was the biggest baby ever in the NICU. He had uh, how big is that? Eight pounds two ounces. In the NICU. In the NICU. In the NICU. Wow. He, he had, had what they call wimpy white yeah. boy syndrome. <laughs> Bless his heart. Legitimately. We're never gonna let him live no. that down. Mm-mm. No. Bless his heart. And he was in the NICU for 11 days. So he stayed longer than the twins. <laughs> he was born at 35 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. He needed to, like, stand up everybody. Like, he, the, the NICU nurses, one of them looked at me and said, I don't think I've ever had a baby this big in the NICU. <laughs> ever. But to know Jackson is to know that you're going to get challenged. Oh, yeah. And I don't even mean by, like behavior or anything Mm -hmm. I just mean like he's going to tell you exactly what he thinks and he's going to question why it has to be this way Mm -hmm. and I love it about him because he's so inquisitive like every time I talk to him he's got questions Mm -hmm. and I'm so good with it because I will explain it but I can imagine at home that's a little annoying right so 
I, I think, honestly, anybody that lives in these two counties knows my son. Uh, yeah, for sure. He's a pretty popular dude. Yeah. Uh, he's extremely some, smart. Some good popular, some bad. You know. <laughs> That's he's okay. extremely smart. He, he does challenge a lot. But at the end of the day, he's exceptionally kind-hearted. He is. Um, pretty special little boy. But yeah, it, it definitely presents its challenges because he's the only boy in the house. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like that much. So he always talks about going to hang out with friends. Um, Gotta get away from these girls. He's a good little big brother because he's bigger than his twin sister. <laughs> he's taller and he's bigger than and stronger than both of them. Um, in the home, it, I mean, it presents its challenges every once in a while. Because he's all boy. Yeah. But he's he's the guy's guy. He wants to go fish. For he sure. wants to go hunt. He wants to go shoot. There's only one guy in the house that can do it with him too. Mm-hmm. That's right. Man, he that's a lot of pressure. Go, he doesn't want to go do it with his sisters. He wants to go on guys' days. Yeah. And he wants to pick up all his guy friends and go on a guy's yeah. day, you know. Yeah. But yeah. This goes back to that old country song, Don't Take the Girl. Right. That's Jackson. <laughs> Don't take the girl. One day he's going to want that girl to be right, there. But right exactly. now it is don't take the girl. <laughs> it's me. That's right. Okay, so tell me how you ended up in Bremont. So when we lived in Calvert, um, right, well, right after Jackson was born, we moved to South Carolina for six months. Okay. Because of everything that was going on, my disability with my job, I worked full time. Uh-huh. Um, my disability had run out. And I had to make a choice to go back to work. Well, obviously, I wasn't going back to work because I couldn't leave the hospital. Too much going on. Yeah. Um, And Mike was working. He was in transition. He worked for Dell and got laid off, but he was back working for Apple, um, but only part-time at this point. And we just couldn't afford Mm -hmm. a whole lot. So my sister got Mike on with her company. My family is from South Carolina. Uh, We spent six months there. And God (laughs) said, go home. birthday. Yeah, we moved on the twins' birthday, and almost Christmas, Christmas Day, we moved back. God said, go home. Literally, our ceiling and our duplex collapsed. In Calvert? In South Carolina. In South Carolina, okay. Yeah, there so at that leak. point, we, I mean, we took what we could salvage uh-huh. in a little trailer behind our car. And sold everything else. Sold what we could sell, trashed what was trashed, and... We moved in with Mike's parents. I was going to say, and what was waiting for you in Central Texas? I, um... <laughs> I got promoted while we were in yes. South Carolina at Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved back Christmas because of that water leak upstairs. Yeah. Uh, we literally just sold it all, packed it up, and moved back to my parents' house in Round Rock. And so the kids went to Round Rock school. The big kids went to Round Rock schools for a little while. Um, but Naomi kept talking about Bremond because when we lived in Calvert, they were transfer students. Okay. So that's where it came to they be. They went to Bremond when we were in Calvert yeah. before. Right. And um, she wanted nothing but to be back at Bremond. Uh-huh. She just loved it. I love that. It's, she, it's interesting. It is. But I do love it. And we weren't really, one way or another, was like, oh, well. You had kind of enjoyed living there. Let's look at there. houses and see what we can find. And so we looked at one. Um, Coach Morgan beat us to it, literally, <laughs> right in before us. That's funny. Um, and then we got the one that we ended up getting into, and we haven't looked back been there ever since all because naomi said bremont that's <laughs> so funny we came back way to go naomi there's a big yeah. god story in there too that I, I i think we should tell go for it so jamie's best friend um lives in calvert still 
with her family. And Jamie's always been really close to that family or that side of things. They took Jamie in, uh, basically treated Jamie like one of their own. She was just another daughter, Mm -hmm. another child of God in their eyes. Two really special people, um, Nanny and Papa Lucky. Mm -hmm. They, uh, They found out that we were looking for a house because Jen had been speaking to them and um, they just said, how much you need? Cut us a check. Wow. Go buy your house. Never ask questions. And we paid back every penny. Early. Early. <laughs> yes. Um, Let it be known. Yeah. He looked at me and said, you know, you don't have to do this. I said, I know, but you didn't have to do what you did either. Yeah. Both of them have gone to see the Lord this year. Pretty much back to back. Um, you always hope you can be the person that can just say here and take a chance on something. And you know, um, Nanny Lucky went after Papa Lucky, um, and I was up there with my friend, and we're you know spending the day in the house. You know, uh-huh. They're not there anymore. It's kind of yeah. weird. Eerie. Uh, families coming and going, and right before she had passed, my Nana had passed, and we had gone to South Carolina mm-hmm. to bury her. And, uh, you know, I felt more like family mm-hmm. here sure. than I did when I went home. And not to say that I don't have family who made me feel yeah. like it. Like, I can go to my sister's house and it's Your just, house. it's my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's, that family dynamic is just different. Like, everybody came in from everywhere and, and it was like I had always been a part. Right. And they all looked at you that way. Yeah. Like there wasn't, yeah. it wasn't weird that I was there, that I wasn't blood, that I wasn't, you know, Mike officiated her funeral and sang at her funeral. And that's awesome. Uh, just an incredible family, like really incredible family. That's definitely a God thing for yeah. somebody to say here, whatever it, it is. It landed in Bremont. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It landed us hard in Bremont. And yeah. we've been deeply rooted here ever since, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, y'all. I find it fun. I still meet new people. Do we stay particularly quiet, I would say. We don't get out there Even for living right in the middle of town. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm so <laughs> sure. not to be right in the middle of town. <laughs> You've been here for how many years now? This will be seven. Seven on the 15th. And since you moved here, we've had... Oh, my goodness. COVID, the snowstorm. Yeah, so when the big snowstorm came through, you know, we didn't have power for a really long time. Nobody did. Yeah. Um, I'm thankful for Mike being okay at that point because he was able to start the generator. And, right. Um, but a few days after we had gotten power back, which I find it interesting because we just gotten power back, um, he had a seizure in his office. I wasn't out there. I was in the house. Um, he was debating whether or not he was going to tell me about it. Um, what, do you, what do you remember from that moment? Because I can't imagine what that feels like. Every second. <clears throat> All right, we'll spill it out for me. Um, so this is the first time I'm telling this story, actually. It is. Um, things about this story Jamie hasn't even heard because I've not shared it. But it was uh, February 10th, 2021. Um, as we've mentioned before, I work for Apple. And I'm on a really cool rotation doing some big things. And I was getting ready to do a presentation to quite a few people, a very large audience. And I had a seizure at my at my desk. And uh, in meeting with the doctors, um, they said that I wasn't really supposed to remember what was going on. 
but God had bigger plans at that time. Um, so I remember starting the seizure and I, I was just watching a video on my phone, getting ready to, to do this presentation, getting my mind centered and that sort of thing, just kind of forgetting about what I'm doing for a moment. And, and then my jaw locked up and I thought, hmm, this is kind of weird. And then I couldn't breathe and I started freaking out. And then my body started to shake. And I remember all of these things, my, my body laid out straight in my chair, I had no control of it. And I remember throwing my phone. I didn't mean to throw it. It just kind of went uh, in the process. And my body was just stiff, laid out. And I started shaking. My head started shaking back and forth. And I leaned to my right for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, and my arm was on the ground. And I was holding myself up with my arm. I was having a full seizure in the office. And at that very moment, the only thing going through my mind, um, Emmy and Jamie were home at the time. I wasn't going to die in that office for them to find me. Mm -hmm. So I stood up, full seizure, holding the desk, uncontrollably shaken, still don't have my wits about me at all, don't know what's going on, and I hear my voice. I hear uh, my breathing, and I start focusing on my breathing and still clamping my desk, like standing up, shaking, and just kept reeling through my mind Emmy's not going to find me Jamie's not going to find me this is not going to happen if I'm going to die I'm going to die by the road so I'm getting out of here so I kept focusing on my breathing and my body started to calm down and I started to come to I couldn't say any words I couldn't really move but I just started stumbling because I was getting out of there so I did I made it out of the office and I made it all the way down by the road still just don't know what's going on just still mid-seizure you know mm -hmm. so well this isn't gonna work and my mind was working i like i could comprehend my thoughts like i knew what was going on but i couldn't tell my body what to do i wasn't controlling my body so i finally got my legs about me and i wasn't stumbling about anymore so i just started doing circles and laps in the backyard trying to get myself to come to. I was shaking my arms, like got my arms about, and I just started hauling butt. I couldn't speak. I tried to say words, like I was looking at stuff in the backyard trying to say fence or trash can, and I couldn't do anything. So I'm like, all right, I'm not good to go inside yet. And I keep making those laps, and finally I'm able to mumble, and I could just, you know, I couldn't do anything, but I made a mumble sound. And I said, you know what? I am not going anywhere near the house until I can physically say the word trash can. It took me about five, ten minutes, I would say. I don't know. Just making laps around the yard profusely, trying to get myself back until I mumbled trash can. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go inside. So I got up the steps and I, I started to proceed into the door and then I couldn't say front door. Like it was, My mind was telling me, try to speak, and I couldn't. Like, well, I'm not going to go through the front door until I can say front door. So I went back to pacing the yard again until I could say front door. Oh, my gosh. And then uh, I made it to the front door, and I said it, and I walked in, and Jamie started talking to me, uh, which is normal. She sits at the table and does some work inside the house while I work out in my office. And uh, I wasn't having any words at that point. I just put my hand up uh, to give her the hold on a second sign and just kept walking by her because I didn't want her to be alarmed. And I went to the bathroom, and I contemplated if I was going to come out quick or if I was going to pretend like I was going to the bathroom for a while. And then I came back out and I stood at the 
at the table and she said, what's wrong? I said, stop. <laughs> That's the only word that you had. That was the only word I could use was stop. And he kept doing this. And well, that's I, not going to go very well. I kept giving it right. <laughs> what you know? is wrong with you? She didn't know what was going on. And uh, finally she's like, I'm taking you to the hospital. I said, no, I'm going to go sit down. I mumbled these things. I, I'm pretty sure I said I'm going to sit down, but it was mumbled mess. Um, she will tell you that I sounded like I was just foolishly drunk because I couldn't speak. So I went and sat down. So she gave me two options, as you know, anybody in this area that knows Jamie, she's uh, she doesn't take no from her husband at all. So she gave me two options. <laughs> Let me point out um, that you created this monster. That's right. right. That's but... right. It took a lot of years of being sweet to make that happen. <laughs> um, she said, you got two options. I call the ambulance and they come get you or you get in the car and I take you. What do you want to do? Well, I'm not riding in an ambulance. So, you know, we got in the car and we went down. <laughs> We ended up going to Caprock, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there started the journey. So I went in there, thought I had a seizure. You know, we told them all that uh, good stuff. And they did a CT scan. And they were gone for quite a while. And uh, we weren't alarmed at first because normally you go in there, they're real fast. We've been there many times. We've been to all of those fast ERs mm-hmm. with the kids and in and out but this one was uh, abnormally long after my CT scan I'm like okay what's happening here I'm sitting on the bed and the doctor came up to the bedside and he said you know I'm going to show you a picture no he walked in and he looked directly at me the first thing out of his mouth was oh. what do you do for a living that's right he told Jamie that was the first thing out of his mouth when he walked in the room yeah so he asked Jamie what what do you do for a living and both of us looked at each other and said well this is about to get interesting yeah mm-hmm. so then he pulled up his phone and he's like I'm going to show you your CT scan results and he pulls it up and he says uh so all of this right here this is normal brain uh and this portion right here this is not normal you've got a brain tumor I get up and I walk out. I said, you can speak to my wife. And I went to the bathroom and just kind of walked out. Which kind of flipped our world upside down and immediately. did. It was... So 14 days. Fast-tracked. February 24th, 2021 was when I had the seizure. I went to the doctor. Found out I had a brain tumor. This Six is all... centimeter brain tumor. This was all in the same day. Um... So six centimeters is really big. Yeah. It's bigger than a golf ball, smaller than mm-hmm. a baseball. Uh, and it had been growing up there. We found this out for 20, 25 years. I never knew it was there. That's a big God story. Um, so let's talk about the 14 days. The biggest emotional roller coaster I had ever ridden in my life, personally. Um, between not knowing if you were going to live not knowing if you were going to die and literally just saying, look, God, you got this, whatever it is, your will, you got this from this moment forward. Uh, and I failed every single day through that 14 days. I curled up on the couch in a ball, didn't want to talk to anybody. I went to my office to be left alone. I spent a lot of time not saying words. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really hard for her. Because those of the people that know me in this area know I'm not the quiet one in the relationship, you know. Uh, I'm the outgoing one, the worship leader, the God-loving worship leader that's always out there speaking to everybody, just loving on people. 
And that was not me during this 14 days because my world had been flipped upside down. Mm -hmm. So I think I had three or four MRIs done in the course of that four, 14 days, you know, multiple hours in a tube at a time. Not the most comfortable thing for a big guy like me. Um, because he wasn't talking to me, I took to doing what I knew how to do, what Emmy prepared me for. And that was, I called doctors. Yeah. I got things scheduled. I got things moving. Mm-hmm. And I petitioned MD Anderson to take his case. And they did. That's a big God story there. So I, I was <coughs> referred to a neurologist in Austin, great neurologist. And I talked to him on the phone. And he said, yeah, the surgery is going to be about, what do you hours. say, 12 hours. Because he's going to do it all by hand and, you know, do all the stuff. And then we get a call. Well, Jamie gets a call from Indy Anderson, from the head of neurology there, the head surgeon. He said, hi, I'm doctor. Is this Jamie? And she said, yeah. And his first words were, I want you to look at your husband right now and tell him I got his back. And they took my case. So he had me go through more MRIs, more stuff. I had to go to Houston for these. And this is in the middle of all the COVID mess, because COVID isn't gone at this point yet. So March 10th, Jamie drives me down to MD Anderson really, really early in the morning. Um, and I hug her for what I thought was going to be the last time. Went into the hospital alone. I'll never forget any of these moments either, because this is God just preparing the path. Um get up there and I get all checked in and um, actually let me back that up the night before March 9th we sat down in my kitchen with my kids and they shaved my head with me and got me prepared for that moment which was uh, very emotional so back to the 10th I'm in the, the OR or I'm in the pre-op room and we're getting ready and one of the other doctors comes in and he's like hey let me look at your head so he does and he does some drawing up here and he puts a smiley face on my head where <laughs> where the tumor was so that they knew where they were operating. Um, so we get all through there, and they roll me into the operating room. This was cold. I'd never seen anything like it before in my life. Mind you, Mike had there. never even had an IV at this point in okay. his entire life. <laughs> never. So this, all I'm of this I'm going to learn today. Yes. That's right. And leading up to that point, you know, that 14 days, I had multiple IVs from the MRIs, from all the dye and all that jazz. Trying to centralize my feelings through this whole ordeal was almost impossible. Um, I knew I was super depressed. I knew I was out. I knew I knew it was like all of the weight was on me for the first time because it was my job to be the support person for everyone else. And now my job was because God put me in that place to sit still and stop. Let someone else support you. And I believe that wholeheartedly to this day that I was put into that place for a purpose to make me understand what it felt like for someone to do for you what you had an opportunity to do for others. You know. Um, so they will be back to the operating table. They have this stack of blankets on the table, and they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, your back is going to be like in a P-shape. So my legs were down, and my back was down, and my head was all cattywampus and all this good crazy stuff. Most uncomfortable position I've ever been in in my life, 
on a cold metal table. So we get ready for surgery. And this is where the kind of funny story comes in. Uh, and all of the God is about to come out in this story, too. So I'm laying there. As if it hasn't already. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So I'm laying there getting ready for surgery. And um, very uncomfortable hurting at this point because, they, I mean, they really had my back elevated. And my head was this way at some weird angle. Um, they have me all lined up. You know, I've got lines in both arms. Uh, pick lines that go to my heart to do my monitor my blood pressure in real time and all that good jazz and then the anesthesiologist walks over and puts the mask on my face and says uh mike we're getting ready to go we'll be ready to go soon just do some heavy breathing you know they they wanted me to get pure oxygen into my body before they put me under so i had to have this mask on to do that i don't know where the room goes black beep that's all i hear said well this is one way to go not under yet at least i thought i wasn't under you know well i wasn't under all of their systems went down oh my gosh uh, literally so the anesthesiologist kind of comes with the cell phone light it's like mike are you okay so yeah i'm good i think i mean am i okay you know like you know can better you tell than me, me if i'm alive that's right so she told me she's like we're having problems with the computer we got to swap it out this and that and the other so I let him go, and naturally I'm kind of a jokester, so I'm just waiting for my chance. I'm wait. I'm gonna get the joke in there at some point in time. So they get the computer swapped all out, and I didn't know this was going on until very the very end because I'm strapped onto the table, uh, my legs hanging off the left hand side too. I forgot to mention that, and uh, the anesthesiologist came back up to me and said, "Hey, we got the computer swapped out, and we're about ready to go." I said, "Okay, what kind of computer you got?" She's like, oh, everything here is Windows. I said, you should have bought a Mac. (laughs) And then she said, "Uh, have a good dream. And that was it. I was gone. And that is the literal last thing I remember until I woke up seven and a half hours later. The doctor prepped me and said, if you have a slight chance of being paralyzed, you'll know when you wake up. The first thing I did was wiggle my right toe. I said, oh, that works. That works. Apparently, I tried to pull out all my lines as soon as they woke me up. And I remember the sweet little voice just saying, he's really strong, and he's trying to get himself unhooked. My eyes immediately opened, and I looked that lady dead in the face, and I said, I'm sorry. I'll sit still now. And I did from that moment on. So they had me in recovery room 52. That was my football number. Uh... They had Jamie in room, what was it, 610? 620. Jamie was in room 620, which is the street I grew up on. Highway 620 in Round Rock. Mm -hmm. My nurse's name was Gary. That was my best friend's dad. Lived right across the street. Shut up. So God's showing up, right? God just told him when the tumor started. So it all makes sense now. You know, I had been crafting Carl... Since That's what we uh, <laughs> oh, the tumor's name is Carl. Was Carl because Carl's gone now. But, Carl uh, is dead. Um, I had been crafting Carl up there since I was a kid on Fern Bluff Avenue in Round Rock, Texas. You know, playing all the sports. I was avid hockey player. Very. Never had a scan for a concussion. Very impact oriented. Mm. Um, but you know, it. Uh, 
it, it's just a stark reminder that God is in absolutely everything we do. And um, it, it takes me to James 1, uh, verse 2. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And it took that moment for me to actually understand what that meant. Because far too often in our lives up to that point we just live life in the fast lane like mm-hmm. just go 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 and it's still very much that way in some instances because we have five kids and we can't get away from it but we're constantly reminded if we take a step back to sit down and be still and listen even in the trials face them head on because he already put that trial there for you to face exactly before you could even know that it was there because he's already predestined what we're going to do tomorrow Mm -hmm. what we did before um and why that needs to go on that day and that year and that mm -hmm. part of your life that's right it's incredible but it's just really special and uh i do want to say that we saw god work in an immense amount of ways in that 14 days, my roller coaster that I was not wanting to speak to anybody. That was really weird for me because naturally everybody gravitates to me because they know I'm the talker. In that 14 days, I was not the talker. I didn't want to see your face. Were you hearing the same voice she was hearing about Emmeline being taken from her? No. But it was you not coming back? You were dying? That's right. I was preparing myself to not see my family again. And I think in a lot of ways, I was trying to prepare them for that too. Yeah. But in those 14 days, our community stepped up and stepped out in the biggest way I could ever imagine. Uh, took care of the kids, took care of Jamie. You know, we had ice apocalypse in Bremond, which yeah. was crazy. Yeah. Uh, all of us went through that together. We had trees uh, everywhere. I had a whole bunch of trees fall and, I was told I couldn't lift more than eight pounds. And <laughs> that's really tough for me. So he cooked for everybody. Oh, my gosh. And Mike. we did all the work. So a group of people showed up at my house with chainsaws and made it all happen I'll for never me. Which forget was it. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Because I, I didn't think people would show up like that for me. I'm just a nobody. You know, like I'm just a, I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy living for Christ. Yeah. You know, and uh, I never thought that was possible i never i never saw god's work in my life like impacting me like that Mm -hmm. but i had always seen it done to other people and you had done it to other people mm -hmm. but he was like when he tells you he was preparing us he would say things to me like well that million dollar life insurance policy is fixing to pay off you're gonna be just fine i would slap you i was getting so angry because he wouldn't talk to me like how he was feeling or anything like that but he'd say say things like that and i'm just like god be with me we were challenged i think for the first time in our marriage we were challenged in a completely new way because i didn't know how to vocal because this was so new to me I didn't know how to vocalize it to her because I had never been in that seat with her before. I've always just been the person that lets her go through challenges or lets the family go through challenges, and I'm, I'm the support person through that. Right. But in that moment, I wasn't. So the challenges we faced, I, I didn't know how to vocalize those feelings. 
because I've always been taught just shove it down. You don't have feelings. You're the man of the house. You just you go for it. You know, overcome it. And in that moment, I was not called to do that, even though I fought it so hard. So you got to learn how to rest. You got to learn what it feels like to be on the receiving end of the hands and feet of Jesus in the community. You got to feel God's presence throughout a really, really, really deep valley. And not even the first really deep valley that y'all had gone through. Just a different one. A new one. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that your family grew together over oh, yeah. that. We as a community grew together. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, you were active in our church. Mm-hmm. You were playing the guitar, doing praise worship with us. Uh, and you disappeared <laughs> because <laughs> you had to. I remember you saying, I can't play the guitar. And I, I, how long was it that you couldn't play the guitar? Or maybe it was lifting the guitar. It was something that you were like... I couldn't sing. You couldn't sing. That's what it was. He even told me to rest my voice. Jesus grounded me. Four months. Four months, yeah. Four months. I think it was longer for singing, though. Four months, eight pounds, and I couldn't put any pressure on my head for I don't know how long after that. I had to sleep in a chair similar to the one I'm sitting in right now. Straight up and down. I couldn't lean back. I remember you telling me... I don't know if I can po- I don't know if I can physically come to church, sit in the pew and not sing. Mm-hmm. That has to be so hard. And we didn't we didn't go to church. Yeah. None of us. Well, I mean, we didn't stop Naomi and Michaela. Sure. Yeah, they from came. Going. Mm-hmm. They, you know, did their thing, but we did not mm-hmm. go to church. Yeah. If he couldn't sit there then we were going to be <laughs> home as a family. Right. And it was COVID anyway, so mm-hmm. that put a kink in everything. That's right. I was called to praise, you know, and I wasn't able to do that loud and like I was accustomed to. But I'll never forget when I got to pick him up because he's the first person in MD Anderson history that was released after brain surgery in only two days. Record breaker. And I remember picking him up and, you know, he's telling me all these things. I'm like, God just told you when you got your tumor. Like, yeah. Do you know how many people would just like to hear those things? To just have like, clarification. Can I just. Can can you just ask him some questions for me? Because sure. apparently your line's a little bit You're more anointed. connected than mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, you do get to come back to church. You do worship a few a little bit longer, and then I think we got another bout of COVID that kind of made things iffy. And COVID mm-hmm. in y'all's family was already yes a very scary situation because of Emmy, right? Mm-hmm. Because she could not get it. And so y'all had to isolate yourselves on a totally different level than everybody else. It wasn't just masks. It was not leaving the home. Right. And so I remember another COVID stint came. And then we made it through that. And all of a sudden we see Mike and Jamie active in a different church. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it looked totally different. And I was so excited about it because, I mean, it was four months you and I worship together, Mike. And, and so um, we really missed you when you were gone. But whenever I realized that you were getting to worship finally again and you were doing so on a different stage, I was so happy. I was so, I was missing you like crazy. I still miss you like crazy. But um, to see you up on a different stage was so special and having a good time using that brain that you couldn't use and using the vocal cords that you couldn't sing with and you know, back on the guitar again. That was special. And then Jamie comes out from the shadows <laughs> and everything we knew about Jamie flipped like almost overnight. It did. Yes. It I really... don't know the day. Do you know the day? Well, I 
I know the day. Um, so to kind of preface how we got involved in the cowboy church, uh, Naomi and Michaela were going, they got real involved in youth Mm -hmm. and Naomi was like, will y'all just come try it? We had been for a couple baptisms. Sure. And we're like, yeah, you know, we like Baptist church. We're good. You know? Right. And we're not cowboys. Right. We're not cowboys. Everybody at all. has we that live, idea. We live on Main Street. Like, yeah. what are we doing? There's actually <laughs> no city horses. Folk in Bremont, you know? <laughs> That's right. But um, long story short, we go to a service, and I don't even know what Naomi had told Shelly or Wesley or who. I, I don't even remember who approached him. They were like, will you do a special here? And Mike and I are looking at each other like, dude, you haven't picked up a guitar and mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember when. Like, I what? still hadn't played at that point. I'm like, no. Do you tell them no? <laughs> like, and we get home that day and he's like, I think I'm going to do a special. And you can't he, say no to that. You cannot say no. He, he's like, I think I'm going to do a special. And he walks out to the office and he grabs his guitar and it's the first time I heard him play the guitar again Ugh. was in the house. And, you know, of course, I'm tearing up because this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. He's told me previous, he's like, I don't even know if I can play the guitar anymore. Like, and I will, I'll be real honest with you. When he first pulled it out, he wasn't playing it like he used to play it. Like it took him a minute yeah. to get back into the swing of it. But I did feel kind of just to jump in here and I'll let you continue. That was kind of a special moment for me too. Um, through my dad, uh, my parents still live in Round Rock. Uh, my dad purchased a, uh, old Gibson guitar that I had grew up with at my buddy Travis's house. His dad was Gary. His dad was Gary. Okay. It was Gary's uh, guitar. It was Gary's guitar. And I have that guitar now. My dad bought it and uh, my dad gave it to Jackson. But he told me to keep it safe until Jackson was old enough to actually appreciate what that meant because it's a very old Gibson acoustic and it's beautiful. Sounds amazing. But that was the guitar that I felt Jesus said, go play it. And I usually leave it in this case because it means a lot. It's so special. Us. He doesn't yeah. have the pickup, so he's not right. plugging in, you know. Um, I, I've always dreamed about putting a pickup in that guitar and being able to do the guitar justice like I'm sure Gary would want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first guitar I ever played after the surgery. Months. Yeah. And so he gets on stage. You know, and he does this special and... Reckless Love. Oh, such a hard song to sing, by the way. (laughs) It was just, I think it was a moment for everybody and it just, it felt right. Yeah. And, and we were home. Yeah. Like in that moment, we were, we were just home. And so we went to church a couple times here and there and he gets involved with the worship team. Pretty, pretty involved. Um... Somehow, I'm going to assume this one right here, gets the word out that Jamie knows a little bit about computers <laughs> and our tech team's struggling a bit. Yeah. So, well, they weren't struggling in the aspect of they didn't know what they were doing. They had a whole lot of new equipment. Okay. And they needed try- more hands on deck. Yeah, I gotcha. trying to figure it out. And literally, our the leader of our tech team has been doing it by herself for years. Wow. So, like, no help. So I'm like, okay, well, I, at this point, have never been to a Bible study. Never been to a Bible study. I'm back row Baptist. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, like, mm-hmm. I'm back there with all the bad kids. And we and have we our just, own nursery yeah, back there. Yeah, we do our own thing. And yep. I love Jesus, but this is where I'm going to sit. 
he's the entertainer, I'm the background. Like, always been that way. Um, I've run sound for him for music gigs, so I, I know how to do that. So that's where I start. I was like, okay, well, I can run sound, and then we're kind of back. We're doing this together. You know, we're a team. Mm-hmm. I'm a part of his team, and it feels right. So all of that is happening, and then um, it was one thing after another was just going wrong. And I'm, I, I was just like, God, like, what do you, what do you want from me? Mm-hmm. Why, 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 why does it have to be this way all the time? But we weren't praying together. We weren't um, being the example in our home. And when I say we, I mean me. I was, I was, everything was making me angry. Um, my past came back to haunt me in a huge way. Um, all the hurt, all the turmoil. It was like this giant storm that I'm in the middle of and I'm feeling everything. Yeah. Like I'm feeling every surgery. I'm feeling every time, you know, my dad left us because of his addictions. I'm feeling you know, every hurt, every awful thing anybody's ever said to me, how I'm stupid. I'm never going to amount to anything like just all of it, like at one time, all of it. This was the first time you had actually been involved in the church, stepped out in faith and said, yes, I'll contribute. Mm -hmm. And Satan was on the prowl. I don't know if it was Satan or if it was God saying you have too much baggage. Hmm. And I can't use you like this. Yeah. Like, you're where I want you. Lay it down. But you cannot be, you're where I want you, but you can't be who I need you to be mm-hmm. with all of this. With all of it. And so, you know, long story short, it's baseball season. I'm meeting, you know, Kelly for the first time, Bam for the first time, Amy for the first Like, I've seen these people, but sure. I don't know them. Yeah. Like, um, the guys, just an incredible group of coaches and, and just the way they were with each other. And, you know, I'm, it's just one thing after another. And Shelly looks at me and she says, so I have this idea and I need your help, but you can say no. The minute she said you could say no, I already heard God tell me you better not say no. <laughs> Even though everything like, in your body was like, it's no. going to be a no for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when all those things were swirling around, you know, I just started being part of the tech team. Um, a verse I hung on to was Jeremiah uh, 33.3. And I'll read that real quick because it's short. But it's one that Shelly said recently, which kind of call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So <laughs> my entire life, the things I've been called to. Emmy's medical stuff, Mike's medical stuff, my medical stuff, raising twins, because that's a whole body in and of itself. Amen. To yeah. That. Um, God was, he was there. I just had to lean on him. Right. He was going to show me how to do it. Like, all I needed was a little bit of knowledge, and he was going to turn it into this great thing. Sure. And when I finally laid it down and just started saying that verse, and threes are huge for me, too. Mm-hmm. So, again, three, three, three. Yes. Um. That's a confirmation from God for me. Anytime something comes in threes, I know it's God. You know, scars. We talked about this. Um, story created about redemption. I have a ton of scars, both internal and external. Yeah. And 
every one of them can be used to reach somebody. Amen. And when I realized that I was a vessel. You have purpose. And every valley has a purpose. I'm, I'm this vessel. Like, God put me here for a reason. Like, I went through all of this for a reason. For someone. For someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably for you. <laughs> well, big time for me. Um, and then just being in the, on the scenes of it's bigger than you and yeah. hearing over and over again, it's bigger than you. Hey, Jamie, it's bigger than you are. Mm-hmm. Was huge. Yeah. Impact over influence, huge. You know, we I got in that accident. Mm-hmm. My flex was totaled. I love that car, but now I'm jeeping for Jesus. Girl, (laughs) you ain't going to stop her. Like, I'm just, I'm I'm moving forward in big ways, but I'm still really scared in a whole lot of ways. Well, yeah. So. And I think we all have that feeling right now. We we talked a little bit earlier about how we're all kind of in the same circle, but we never would have expected to be in this Mm -hmm. circle. And it's Mm -hmm. the most awesome circle. It is. Like, this strength that is in the middle of it is just like. Um, thank you, God. Thank All I can say is thank you, God, for, like, all of the opportunities that have brought us to this point where we can sit down in a circle and have conversations I never thought we could have. Mm-hmm. Have have things that we're passionate about that I never thought I'd be so passionate mm-hmm. about. Raised in the church, knowing what I should be passionate, passionate about, but mm-hmm. missing the whole point mm-hmm. up until just the last year. Oh, yeah. To say, yeah, God, I'm just going to say yes to you, and we're going to see what happens. And I have watched you and Shelly totally loosen the reins on all of what impact over influence is. Mm-hmm. And I have loosened the reins completely on a slice of paradise. And I mean, even just before this, we're looking at each other like how in the world could you possibly orchestrate something like this? I know. I know where there's pieces from Sitting six months ago. That was built in four days. Yes. Literally yes. in four days. And Shelly said, before we started this, we were praying together. Shelly said, you know, Jamie, your life has totally changed in this room. Mm-hmm. And it has. It has. Every bit of it has changed. It has. I have sat in the middle of this floor and listened to some of the most influential people speak. Yes. Like, and been able to take nuggets have, home. Oh, man. And if they only knew, like, I sit here and I'm like, I'm not worthy. I don't, like, please. But how many of them felt the exact same way I was feeling? That day. Yeah. As they were speaking. Yeah, and I'm just like, wow. Wow, God, you put me in this room with this person. And when I approach you all to say I want you to come on my podcast, you're like, I don't know that we have a story. I'm like, yeah. But we're a minute and 24, I mean an hour and 24 minutes in, and we could go on for years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't have any questions. That's the funny well, part. That's the funny part about this episode is like I'm not uh, interviewing you. You're just no. telling your story, and it really wasn't for me to be like, "Well, tell me how it felt when you went through this." No, <laughs> it's it's right there in black and white. And I mean, for all of us to hear, for all of us to see, y'all have a testimony unlike any other. I told y'all this at the beginning, but the things that you have walked through as a family, mm-hmm. and. Your faith is now stronger than it's ever been. Ever. And it could have taken you down, down, down. Mm. And in some ways, it probably felt like it did. But you just kept pushing and you just kept listening. You just kept leaning in. And maybe it was just leaning into your family and your home. And that was just all you could cling to because yeah. in so many cases, that was going to be taken from you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whether it's Emmeline or Mike. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so I'm so thankful that y'all came on. Um, I feel like I could sit here in this room for 82 hours. And we might. I but love, we need to eat some brisket first. I love this room. Yeah, we, that slice. we gotta go yeah, back for the slice. We do need to do that. I will tell you, um, 
it, it's a very humbling experience to be able to share a personal experience with others because this is not normally something that we would do yeah um because we love others but it's it's definitely a calling and ephesians 2 uh 8 through 10 we a shameless plug here i go to a men's bible study every monday <laughs> that everyone should go to uh-huh. if you're out there listening and you're a man contact me you probably know me in this area <laughs> or message me on facebook and i'll give you the address i would love to see you there uh, growing our faith together, it's really awesome to see what God is doing in this area, to your point. Our circles are more intertwined than any of us could ever know. We just have to take a moment to sit back and let Jesus be Jesus and see through the situation to understand, oh, his works are awesome. Um, but Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is, a God, it is God's gift not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So consider it a great joy when you face trials because God placed it there because that was your purpose in that moment was to understand that trial and to see that trial through so that you could be great in your walk to tell somebody about it so that they will turn their lives over to Jesus too. It's just mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing to sit back and reflect. It's special. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a good time for me. I had never heard the story in its entirety, and I feel like I still haven't. Uh, there's still so many pieces that we didn't get to go over, but I know this. I know that God is going to do great things with this, and I can't wait to see what it is. So thank you all. Our pleasure. With each passing week, we learn the incredible power of a person's story, every one unique and supremely designed, just waiting to be shared when the time is right. But what is even more powerful than the story is the grace surrounding it. May we give it courageously, may we receive it graciously, and may we try to make this place a little bit more like paradise. Thanks for listening to A Slice of Caradice.